Good morning, everyone. Well, I, I, we've all been uh, welcomed so far. Have you enjoyed the choir? Have you enjoyed our singing so far? Amen. Well, I do want to welcome you again. Um, for those of you who are visiting for the first time, my name is James Warren, and I serve as the minister, pastor, however you want to call. Uh, you can just call me James. Uh, but I do want to start us off with the word of prayer, and we're going to get into our message today. We have a, uh, we're doing things a little differently because of uh, the special, special day. Uh, we're going to take communion after uh, my message, and then we're going to continue on with our worship service. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father God, we want to thank you for bringing us here safely and uh, for allowing us to come together to worship you and to learn more about what the resurrection means or should mean to us in our lives. And uh, Father, as the video uh, portrayed, uh, so many people uh, have emptiness in their lives and are so desperate to fill those, that empty void in their lives, God. But we know that there is an emptiness that you put in our, in our soul uh, intended to be filled by yourself and your son. And we pray that we can do that. We pray that you'll allow us to be filled up by your Holy Spirit, be filled up by your word, be filled up by your love. And God, we pray that we can uh, intend and in turn, God, uh, fill others up with your word. Uh, we love you. Let my words be yours. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew 28, verse 6. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he laid. You know, we have related to the people in this video at one time or another in our lives. Emptiness often evokes a range of negative thoughts and emotions, except when it's referred to the tomb of Christ. We are excited that the tomb of Christ was empty, just as Mary Magdalene was on that day. You know, there's a lot riding on Jesus' resurrection. Easter Sunday is an annual holiday celebrated by many. And I'm not sure how many know why they celebrate the resurrection. There are millions of people who commemorate the res resurrection of Jesus on that day. And many consider it the holiest day of the year. In fact, the week leading up to Easter Sunday is called Holy Week. I don't know what you were doing on Friday, but you were supposed to be good on Good Fridays. So did you know that? But apparently, Easter Sunday is the most holy of religious holidays. And for some, it marks the only time they attend church services, with Christmas coming in a close second. You know, Christians in the first century did not have an annual observance of this event. In fact, the word Easter only shows up one time in the King James Version. And that's in Acts chapter 12, verse 4. The word, when you look at it in the King James Version, it's translated as Passover. So you'll see it often as Passover in the King James Version. But the word Easter does not show up. And we're not commanded to observe this holiday annually. Why? Because as disciples of Christ, as Christians, we're called to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every day of our lives. Churches today who follow the New Testament pattern, they don't celebrate Easter per se, 
But we do each week when we take up communion and we take part in the body of Christ, which is represented by the bread and the juice, which represents the blood. So we do take part in this weekly, just as the church did in the New Testament. But we carry around the death, burial and resurrection of Christ every day in our bodies, every day in our hearts and in our minds. And so it has great significance to disciples of Christ today. You know, it's something that we should think about often. It's something that we should remember often. When you're having those empty moments, when you're having those days where you feel like your life is just empty, you need to think back on what Jesus did for you. Jesus did not come for us to live empty lives. He said, I came so that you may have life to the full. But the problem is, too often we want to fill our lives up with empty calories that we burn off with the next worry, with the next problem. But you see, faith and the power of God will sustain us and keep us filled up until the next trial comes. Paul says that Christians ought to be pitied more than all men if Jesus didn't come back. You know, different people had different responses to the resurrection. But if Jesus was resurrected, then that means it's all true. The flood, the ark, him raising people from the dead, the Bible, angels. If Jesus did come back, then everything that centers around Jesus Christ is true if he came back. And so my message for us today is if he lived. Because some people live like they don't know for sure if he lived. Christians today aren't sure if we really believe that he lives. I wasn't there to see it. I wasn't there to touch the wounds. I was like Thomas. I didn't see anyone come back from the dead. I didn't see a blind receive their sight. I didn't see the lame walk. So how do I know it's true? God hears your questions and God says, amen. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, and once we talk about it, you got to start being about it. Because if I'm going to sell the truth to you, and I'm going to prove to you that Jesus lives, then you got a decision to make afterwards. So I have only one point for us today. If he lives, as soon as my clicker starts working. Manny, can you help me out again, brother? Next slide. There you go. If you believe that Christ is risen, then let it show in how you're living. That should be easy for you to remember. If I believe that Christ is risen, then it should show in how I'm living. The first century. The first century. Next slide. The first century. No one doubted the crucifixion because people were there. They saw it happen. Everyone was there to witness it. You can see that in Luke 23. The guards confirmed that Jesus died on the cross. They carried his body to the tomb. They carried his body wrapped in uh, uh, grave clothes. They laid him in the tomb. So they knew the Romans were professional at executing. And so they knew that Jesus actually died. The angels confirmed his death. You can see that in Luke 24. So no one doubted the crucifixion. No one doubted that Jesus actually died. But many doubted the resurrection. Because the Pharisees 
thought it was blasphemy when Jesus said that you tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. They were so focused on all the other things that Jesus was talking about. They thought he was blaspheming. But had they had really kept to the word, they would have known that Jesus was actually fulfilling prophecy that was prophesied about him hundreds of years before he was even born. There were prophecies you can read in Saul. Moses prophesied. The prophets all prophesied about the day that Jesus would come, would be born, would die, and be rose again. But you see, they knew their Bible, but they didn't let the Bible lead them to Jesus. So it's possible to read your Bible and still miss the point. So you see, no one doubted the crucifixion, but many doubted the resurrection. So I thought, well, let's think about possible scenarios as to what could have kept Jesus from coming back. You know, Jesus' body vanished into thin air. Maybe he, uh, uh, what's that, you know, spontaneously combusted and his body just disintegrated into thin air. Except that not everyone, everything was consumed because if his body had exploded, then his grave clothes wouldn't have been there. And also... Jesus appeared to about 500 people after his death. 500 people who would be interrogated by the Roman government, whose lives would have been threatened, whose families would have been tortured had they had denied seeing Jesus. But they said, no, we saw him. 500 people. Maybe Jesus' disciples stole his body. Maybe they beat up the Roman guards who they were terrified of up until that point, maybe they overpowered the Roman guards, went inside, rolled back the stone, and stole Jesus' body to prove that he came back. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. Would they be willing to perpetrate such a hoax on themselves to watch their family and loved ones tortured, thrown into prison, their kids fed the lions, had Jesus indeed been in the tomb? The next thing is, Jesus' enemies, maybe they stole his body. But the opponents had no reason to steal his body. In fact, to make sure that his body wasn't stolen, they placed a Roman guard. That's a, that's a company of soldiers. That's, these are military men. Imagine our special forces standing in front of Aaron Davis Hall. You're not getting in here. I don't care how much kung fu movies you watched. Or how, 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 how much street fighting you got under your belt. You're not getting through these highly trained and skilled men. That was the Roman guard. Special forces in Jesus' day. There were no way 12 fearful fishermen were going to get past these men and steal that body. Maybe Jesus faked his death. Maybe Jesus didn't die on the cross. Maybe he was drugged or he fainted and just appeared to be dead. But the Romans were thoroughly trained. They knew when someone was dead or not. And in fact, if they had went along with it, their own lives would have been threatened. So they weren't going to take the rap for some guy that just not too long ago, beat up, spat on, and almost flogged to death. Why would all of a sudden now they go along with this hoax? Perhaps the women went in to the wrong tomb. 
Now, we're talking about Mary Magdalene and his mother, Mary, who hadn't left his side through the whole process. In fact, when Peter and the other guys turned tail and ran, who was there by Jesus' side? It was Mary. It was his mother. It was Mary Magdalene who washed his feet with her tears. She's not leaving. She's not going to the wrong tomb. So that doesn't even make sense. Or lastly, the disciples suffered some mass psychosis. They had some bad fruit of the vine. Have you ever heard or seen mass psychosis so powerful that it lasts decades? Also, why didn't the enemies produce Jesus' body and therefore discredit the disciples proving that he had gone mad? So you see, although some have doubted, there's so many, there's so much proof as to why Jesus is resurrected. You know, Paul goes even further. Paul says if the resurrection is not true, then our preaching is in vain. And our faith is in vain. He says that then we are still in our sins if Jesus didn't come back. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? To stand before God and say, oh, wait a second, Jesus is still in the tomb. What are you doing here? I mean, that would be the worst, that would be the worst joke ever. But Jesus has come back. And then believers would, above all, be the most pitied because we were the ones going out there like crazy telling people about a man who came back from the dead three days later, watching our family and friends be persecuted. And so Christians would have, have been pitied among all men had Jesus not returned. And so Paul is saying, if it's not true, then we're the joke. The joke is on us. And then Christianity is based on a lie, and the practice is pointless. That means you're all here for no reason at all. All that you've given up, all that you've seen God do in your life was just all in your head. If indeed Jesus did not resurrect. You know, Mary went to the tomb expecting to find Jesus in the tomb. She was expecting to find a dead body. But instead... She heard the word that most, that, we, that we've all wanted to hear, that we needed to hear. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. You know, that is the word, the greatest word spoken to men since, since God called Adam, Adam and Eve, Eve. Because had Jesus had been in the grave, then our faith would be in vain. And all that he had told them about, all, that, all the hope that they had on the resurrection, all they hoped that they had, and being with him in paradise, being with him in heaven, would have been for nothing. But when Mary went to look for Jesus to finalize his burial, the angel said, what are you doing here? He's not here. Why are you looking for the dead among the living? And you know, there's a point to that. Because... For Christians, sometimes we go back to the dead, hoping to regain some life. We're going back to the things that Jesus died for, that Jesus nailed to the cross, the dead things, hoping to gain some semblance of life. And the angel is saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? There's no life in drugs. 
There's no life in alcohol. There's no life in lying. There's no life in promiscuity. There's no life in giving up on your responsibilities. There's no life in cowardice. There's no life in lying. There's no life in sexual immorality. So why are you looking for the living among the dead? The resurrection is not just a good story we tell our kids before we put them to bed at night. The resurrection is what our faith, our church, our hope, our dreams are built on. And God paid the highest price to make sure that that is true. You know, if I want to go visit one of my relatives who's passed on, I can go to their gravesite. And if I wanted to, my crazy thinking wanted to dig up and make sure that their bones were still in the coffin, they'd be in there. I could go back and I could see, hey, well, yep, that's, that's, yeah, they're there. But here's the thing. You can't go to where Jesus was buried and find his bones. You can't go there and hope to see the bones of Christ because he's not there. He is risen. He is not there. There are over 300,000 graves on Mount Olive where Jesus used to go to pray. Not one of them belongs to him. In fact, they built the church of the resurrection on top of Jesus' tomb, and they built it on top of Golgotha where Jesus was crucified. So you can go there, you can visit, but you're not going to see Jesus. You're going to see an empty tomb. 2,000 years later, if somebody wanted to pull the, the robe off of this whole Christianity thing, someone would have produced the bones and the body of Jesus and said, all right, the jig is up. But it hasn't happened yet. We even found the Titanic, and we still haven't found Jesus. We found dinosaur bones that we didn't even know existed, and we still can't find Jesus. Why? Because he is risen. He's not here, just like he said. Are you looking for the life among the dead? You know, after the crucifixion, in John chapter 20, Verse 19, it says, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands, his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You know, after the crucifixion, disciples went back to their old lives, living as if Jesus wasn't coming back. And, you know, I think about this today as Christians. I'm thinking, man, you know, for those of us who've made Jesus Lord, for those of us who have studied the crucifixion out in the scriptures, have you gone back to how you were living before you realized that he was risen? Have you gone back to being locked up behind closed doors, fearful of living your life out as if Jesus is alive? See, the disciples saw it with their own eyes. They were there, and they still cowered in fear. They locked themselves behind closed doors because they were afraid of what others might think. My question to us today is, how would Jesus find us living if he stood among us?
Would it be life as usual when you leave here today? How will you respond? You see, Jesus' resurrection demands a response. Either you believe it or you don't. There's no wavering. When Thomas was wavering, Jesus said, hey, put your finger here, Thomas. Why do you still doubt? He called him to respond. If you have a doubt, what are you doing about your doubts? You can't just keep walking through life doubting. At some point, you're going to have to talk to Jesus. You're going to have to confront yourself with whether this is true or not. But you can't keep walking around saying, I doubt it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. At some point, you're going to have a come to Jesus moment in your life. And he's going to know, why are you still doubting? You know, the disciples, this is how they responded to the resurrection, to the crucifix. Now, let's, let's see how they responded to the resurrection, right? In Acts chapter 13, verse 20, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further... Among the people, we must warn these people to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. These guys had the opportunity. This was their way out. The apostles could have said, well, the Sanhedrin commanded us. They threatened us. They told us not to. They're our authority. They're our leaders. And they commanded us to no longer teach or speak about Jesus. Listen to their response. In verse 19, it's about Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves. Is it right in God's sight to obey you rather than God? For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What a difference. They went from cowering behind closed doors to now boldly spreading the faith, sharing their faith in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the leaders. Their lives were on the line. Their families were on the line. And they said, we can't help it. We can't help but to speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. If you've been a disciple and you've walked just a year on this earth, You've seen people's lives changed. So you have seen it. And you hear it every week. Every time you open your Bible or turn your Bible on, however you get it on, however you get it to the Word, you hear it. And I know you hear God speaking to you. Because every single one of us was made in His image. And every single one of us, God put inside of him, inside of him, a desire for something greater than what this earth can, can, can give us, and it's God. And God is pulling at you. God is talking to you. God is showing you through different events in your life that he wants a relationship with you, and there's nothing else that's going to satisfy you. 
The disciples went from fearful to fearless, from uncertain to unwavering, from keeping their faith locked behind closed doors to we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. You know, the power of the resurrection has the power to transform lives. I don't know where you're at today in your walk with God. I don't know where you're at in your faith. I don't know if you have faith. But let me tell you something. God can help turn that all around. God can, can give life where there is no life. It was God who spoke life to, into existence. And God can speak faith into your life if there's no faith. You just got to give him a chance. You just got to give him an opportunity. And for those of us who, who, are, walking with, who are walking with God, who, who, who said Jesus is Lord, let me ask you, are you still allowing God to transform your life? Is your heart still pliable? Are you still letting God use you? You see, to these men, Jesus' return could mean only one thing, that Jesus is Lord and he must be king. But what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? How will you respond? You know, I sat down the other night and I thought about that. I pondered on that question. And I said, what does he mean for me? And I said it in my words. These are my words. You got to come up with your own words. I said, because he lives, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I stepped over the line. My decision has been made because he lives. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back or go back. Let up or shut up. Slow down, back down, go down or stay down. Because he lives, my past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. Because he lives, I'm done with low living, small giving, sight walking and cheap talking, small dreaming and evil scheming, smooth knees and flatteries. Because he lives. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, praises, or popularity, or planted, padded, placed promptly, positioned parallel to the Prince of Peace. Because he lives, I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be best. I don't have to be recognized. I don't have to be rewarded. I don't have to be regarded. Because he lives, I live by faith, not by sight. Walk by day and shine at night. Lift by prayer and labor by love. Fix my eyes on things above. My face is set. My gaze is steady. My goal is heaven. My road is ready. My way is rough. My friends are few. My God is reliable. My map is true because he lives. I won't be bought, polluted, or swayed. My price was paid by Christ and he didn't delay. So I won't give up and I won't shut up. I'm a disciple of Christ. I live because he lives, so I owe him my life. I must go till he comes. Give till I drop. Preach till all know, until he tells me to stop. And when he comes for his own, and he's looking for his, how you respond to the fact that he lives. Acts chapter 2, verse 24 says, It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Are you looking for the living among the dead? Are you walking as if Christ was risen? Then my question to you is how are you living? Let's go to God and pray.
Our great and awesome Father, we come before you thanking you. Thanking you that you kept your word. Thanking you for raising Jesus on the third day, fulfilling all prophecy and fulfilling all promises. Father, you had the hardest part of the covenant in our relationship, and you held it up. And we ask that you will help us to do our part. Father, we ask that you will help us to carry around the resurrection in our bodies every day. And for those of us who only make this annual visit, Father, we pray that you will reveal the power of the resurrection in their lives so that they may come to know your son as their own. I pray that the body represented by the blood, the blood, the uh, bread and the blood represented by the juice, Father, I pray that you'll help us to take this as we reflect and as we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. To God be the glory.